Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and today is January 16th, 2019, which means there's only uh, a week to go, or actually less than a week ago, before the uh, Stone Show starts out in Las Vegas. Uh, I will be walking around the show sometime that week. Uh, I'm not sure quite yet what day. It may be Wednesday afternoon. It might be Thursday afternoon, but you're not going to miss my wife and I out there. I'll be wearing a a chartreuse or what we call construction yellow or construction green t-shirt that says ask me about the stone and tile radio show and she'll be wearing a pink one so if you see us walking around don't be afraid to come up and tap us on the shoulder and say hey fred and you know hey jerry or whatever you want to say uh that's fine i will also of course be starting my stone and troubleshooting seminar out there on monday uh that monday i do have a few cancellations of people that just couldn't make it so if there's a couple of people out there that want to attend give me a call after the show uh today or tomorrow and we'll get you registered to attend that seminar it's a great seminar uh you can find all the information you need on that seminar on my website which is stone forensics and just go to the training tab and you can click on all the information or go ahead and send me an email or give me a call i'll be more than happy to uh, discuss exactly what we're going to be covering in that particular uh, seminar which is always a popular popular seminar now this week i want to touch a little bit on stone history and also on some of the tools that i use during my inspection but before i do there is one website i want to guide you to and i get i got this question today i saw it on one of the forums on facebook and i get it all the time and that's when it comes to stone Have you know hundreds of different names for the same type of stone, and some of you have trouble identifying the materials. I happen to find a website that is really good. Uh, it is called StoneContact.com. That's StoneContact.com. They've got all kinds of stone-related issues on there. But if you go to the uh, the stone library, you can actually search the stone by color. You can search it by name. Uh, you can put in, say, granite, and you can put in what color, say, blue, and it'll bring up all the possible materials that are out there, and you can actually look at them. The nice thing about that site is they also have an app, which is free, uh, so you can take it into the field and put it on your iPhone or your Android and uh, be able to identify that material on site, which I think is a, is a great, a, a great uh, thing to be able to do. And again, that website is Stone contact dot app or dot com i'm sorry there's an app called stone contact uh but if you go to stonecontact.com or go into your uh, into your app store and search stone contact you should be able to find uh that particular site all right i'm going to give out the phone number here and my email address if you uh, have a question or a con- comment on what i'm talking about today or basically anything that does anything to do with stone and tile the number is 323 323- Eight seven zero three nine six eight. That's three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. All right. Let's talk a little bit of stone history. And when I'm talking about stone history, I'm talking about um, 
stone building, uh, the using stone uh, in ancient times as, as well as modern times. Uh, and what was interesting and, and what got me really interested in, in the history of stone was a number of years ago, and I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was, uh, maybe 15 years ago when that movie came out, The Flintstones, you know, the, the animated cartoon movie, The Flintstones, uh, the motion picture movie, not the TV series. I was on an airplane, and that was the movie. So obviously I'm on this airplane on a long flight. So I said, well, okay, I normally wouldn't watch it, but let me go ahead and watch it. Well, the opening scene starts out with, you know, Fred Flintstone sitting on top of the dinosaur, you know, with the crane in the quarry. And in the foreground of this particular shot, you see the rocks on fire. Now, I don't know how ever... How, how many of you ever noticed that? But the next time you happen to look at that or just go on YouTube and type in the beginning of the Flintstones movie, you will see all these rocks on fire. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, he's in a quarry. Yes, it's a cartoon, but why are the rocks on fire? What's the purpose of that? So I did a little digging, and I discovered that is how – before we had metal tools, before we had, you know, really ways of cutting and quarrying stone, one of, I should say one of the ways was to use a technique called fire setting. And how fire setting worked is you would find a rock, you know, whether it's marble or granite, and you would look for a flaw, a crack in it somewhere, and you would light a fire under it and get it really, really hot. And then what you would do is you would douse it with water, you know, use cold water if you could, but you douse it with water and the temperature differences would what? It would crack the stone and make it more workable. So you could take a very huge rock or stone, let a fire under it, splash some water on it, it would crack open and you were able to kind of shape that rock along the, the cracks and the fissures anyway in that particular stone. So uh, it's kind of interesting. What's really interesting about that is in India and in the Philippines, they're still using that technique in, in some of the uh, real remote areas. So I'm told anyway, I haven't seen that firsthand. Another technique that was used would use wood. What happens when you introduce water to wood? It swells, right? It warps, it'll swell. So what they would do is they would find a, a crack or, or a flaw in the stone somewhere, insert some wood in there, whether it be, a, I don't know, a branch or some kind of wood, and wet that wood. And just the expansion, the swelling of the wood would cause pressure in the stone and cause it to crack. Now, if you go, some of the, go to some of the modern quarries, uh, for example, some of the quarries up in Vermont or even in Georgia, they still use today what they call a wedge method. Now, it's a little bit different, but the principle's the same. Basically, what they do is they drill a bunch of holes in the stone, and they stick these little V-shaped wedges, and they tap them. And they just tap them. You know, you can imagine a line of holes with these V-shaped wedges in there. And as you tap those wedges, what happens is it causes those little holes to expand, and it'll split the rock open. And it splits it open in a much faster rate than some of our modern machinery can today. So you'll go to some of these quarries, and you'll see, you know, the most expensive you know, water jet machines and, and, and bridge saws and, and, you know, gang saws or whatever. And right next to it, you'll see a guy with these, with these wedges and a hammer busting stone open. Of course, that depends on the type of stone, but I, I think that's just, just kind of interesting. Uh, you know, traveling the world, you, you can get to see some of the really, really old stuff that's out there, you know, Machu Picchu, uh, some pyramids. Uh, what's interesting about the pyramids, I've been kind of following that, is uh, a little bit of trivia to that is that at one time, the, the pyramids were all clad in marble. Uh, it's all gone now due to acid rain and erosion, but they were all clad in marble. But the interesting thing about the pyramids, and if you've ever watched any of the Nova 
shows on TV or any of those particular shows, National Geographic or whatever, uh, there's all different theories on how the pyramids were built. You know, some believe aliens helped, others they had these elaborate cranes. And what the latest theory is, at least from, from what I've been ever to gather, and if someone knows differently, please call in and uh, voice your opinion, is uh, was all based on a recent discovery. They discovered a bakery near the pyramid site. Now, you're saying, Fred, what does a bakery have to do with building the pyramids? Well, what they did when they discovered this bakery, they looked at the size of the ovens, and they were able to calculate how much bread could be baked in these ovens, and they discovered it was a massive amount of people. So the latest theory is that these materials were all moved by brute force, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of slaves, you know, pushing these stones on rollers or logs and, and you know, getting them higher and higher. And uh, it's kind of interesting. It's sometimes you, you wish there was a time machine. You could go back in that time for at least a maybe a minute just to see exactly how they did it. But that's the latest theory uh, from what I've read on on the uh, on the pyramids. Uh, one of the slides I show during my presentation at, at the uh, upcoming seminar is uh, a photograph of some prisoners refinishing terrazzo prior to electricity. And what's interesting is they, the, how they refinished terrazzo back, back then is they would have a long stick and they would have a big stone on the end of that stick and they would send all these prisoners out there and they would just rub back and forth with the, with the stone back and forth, you know, using various abrasives, obviously, uh, to put somewhat of a sheen on the terrazzo and to grind the terrazzo down. Uh, back when I was contracting, I actually blew up a large photograph of that and hung it in the shop. And whenever my guys complained that they had to work too long or they were working too hard or they were working in heat, you know, with our little swing machines or whatever, I'd point to that photograph and say, hey, you're lucky. I could have you doing that. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. But you know what's really interesting when you look at the history of this yeah, especially when it comes to with materials, is techniques really haven't changed all that much. Sure, we have more modern equipment, we have computerized equipment, but it's basically the same thing. You know, we're extracting the stone out of the ground. Some of these primitive techniques are still being used today alongside some of the, the more modern techniques. When it comes to refinishing materials, whether we're edge polishing a countertop or polishing a floor or a countertop, uh, we're using abrasives. Sure, we're using diamond abrasives. We're using electric machinery, air-powered machinery. Um, but we're basically doing the same thing they did you know, hundreds uh, or thousands of years ago. We're rubbing the stone with an abrasive to achieve a, a hone or a polish on, on the material. So it's quite interesting. And, and, and it's kind of hard to find some of this information. I know I did an Internet search today in preparation for this show trying to find some of the uh, more interesting tidbits. And I was able to find one site that was, uh, if you want to look this up on Google, it's called A Brief History of Building of the Building and Dimension Stone Industry. I'll, I'll repeat that one more time. It's A Brief History of the Building and Dimension Stone Industry. If you Go ahead and put that into Google. Uh, you'll get a lot of, uh, there, there's actually, no, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six or seven paragraphs, which talks about the fire setting. It talks about the wood blocks. It talks about how stone was probably one of the very first materials used uh, for housing and, and buildings. Uh, we would, you know, with, uh, what we call today dry stacking. You know, we see a lot of dry stacking on walls, on, on, on fences, et cetera, and they use that to actually build materials. And you can see that 
and many places uh, throughout the world. Uh, in doing this research, I came across an interesting term, which I didn't know where this word came from, but we often use the word quarry, a quarry where stone comes from. Came from, and hopefully I'll pronounce this correctly, comes from a Latin word called quarraria, uh, and it's basically based after Carrara, Carrara, Italy, which those of you probably know is a very, very large producer of marble in the world. It's a still very, very large uh, area where they produce Carraras and uh, other types of uh, white marbles, etc. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. So if you're interested in the history like I am, it's worth you know going and doing an internet search. I found a lot of books on the subject. Uh, which I, I purchased a couple of them, but haven't purchased all of them that are out there. But it might be worth a trip to that old-fashioned place called the library uh, to look it up. Or as you know, what we do today is go on Google and uh, see what you can find on Google. All right, so that's what the little history is all about. And I thought that was kind of interesting to start to show off. What I want to switch to now is I want to talk a little bit about some of the equipment that I use uh, when I go on my stone inspections. And you know, I get this question all the time. Actually, I had a question come in the other day via an email that said, Fred, would, Fred what would you put in your, in your bag? You know, what would you bring on site? And my answer to that was, it really depends on uh, what the project is or what the failure I'm going to look at. So the very first tool you'll need is questions. Uh, asking all the questions, doing the interview over the telephone, uh, you know, what's the problem, what kind of material are we dealing with, uh, and a whole list of questions that we can, uh, we don't really have time to go through, uh, but you can find in my manual on stone failures or uh, come to the class and we'll go through all those. Now it's kind of give you a complete list of everything uh, that I would include in a kit, but not necessarily would take all, all these particular materials. Uh, let me stop and give the phone number out one more time and I e my email, which I didn't give out, I promise to. Uh, phone number here, call in number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968 if you have a comment or a question uh, concerning anything stone and tile. My email address is fhuston, that's spelled F-H-U-E-S, T-O-N at gmail.com. That's F Houston, H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. If you happen to be listening to this on the archives rather than now live, uh, go ahead and send me an email anytime and we'll try to answer your question uh, on the air on the next possible show. Uh, as far as next possible shows, I'm not sure yet whether I'm going to do a show from Vegas or not. I'll be out there all next week, obviously. I may or may not. So I would say just keep an eye on my Facebook page you don't know where my Facebook page is, it's Stone Forensics. Uh, go into the search portion of Facebook and type in Stone Forensics, and you'll get to my my page there, and we'll uh, keep you updated whether I'm going to do a show or not, or wait till I get back the following week. Okay, so we're going on a stone inspection or a tile inspection, and you know what do we bring with us? Well, we're going to bring the obvious things. The very first piece of equipment I think you need to make sure you have, which I'm sure you probably have if you have a cell phone, is a camera. Now, uh, interesting story about cameras. A number of years ago, I went out and bought like a $2,000 35-millimeter digital camera, blah, blah, blah. I had all the lenses and everything, and I don't use it anymore. And the reason I don't use it is my, my latest iPhone has got a really good camera on it. And for our purposes, for our purposes of, of, of taking and documenting some of these failures, it does perfectly. I mean, we're not trying to win any kind of prize with our photography, but it, it does take some decent photographs and photographs that are, uh, 
you know, good enough to use in a report or, you know, just to uh, to review. So a camera is definitely uh, going to be the number one thing that I take with me. Uh, I have my phone, and I'm going to get into in a second here what else can go as far as testing equipment goes with your phone that I carry with me. So let's talk about that. Uh, and this is something I've discovered recently, and that is an infrared camera. And uh, you can buy them by FLIR, F-L-I-R, uh, you can spend $20,000, you can spend $10,000, or the one I have actually attaches to my iPhone. It plugs into the little charging port on the iPhone, you download an app, and I think it cost me like $400. It was four or $500 for it. And I've actually compared it next to some of the more expensive cameras, and it takes it takes some pretty good infrared photographs. So you might want to say, okay, Fred, why do I need an infrared photo, uh, photography? Well, this is going to help you determine a number of different things. First of all, you can look at a stone surface, whether it's a floor or, or a wall, and you can see where moisture may be. Of course, with infrared photography, it's going to show up blue if it's cold. It'll be, you know, yellow to red to, uh, you know, some of the hotter colors to indicate that it's warm in that area. And where that's really important or where that really comes in handy, um, well, let, let me just tell you this story about a, a project I had a couple of years ago. It was a major hotel, and one of the tiles uh, fell off the wall, and we discovered that the tiles were five spots, you know, five dots. Those of you that do installation or inspections know what I'm talking about, which is a big no-no. You don't use five dots. Well, regardless of whether it was five dots or not, this was a porcelain tile, and there was no bond whatsoever. So obviously, this turned into a big lawsuit, and the question came up is – or they actually, the attorneys asked me this question. They said, how are we going to determine that all of these showers, and there were like, I don't know, 100, maybe 200 showers, have been installed this way? We can't assume that just because one shower was installed this way, the other ones wouldn't install this way. We can't destroy all these showers. In other words, we can't take a tile out of uh, all of the, all the showers. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to close down the hotel, uh, which is quite understandable. And my first gut reaction was, well, we could do a sounding test. We can actually tap on the on the tiles, and we can see, you know, where it's solid and where it's not solid. And that's not, you know, that that's somewhat accurate if you know what you're doing. But the lawyers weren't happy with that answer. They wouldn't. Can you be a hundred percent sure that that was a method used by tapping? And my answer to that is no. I can't be one hundred percent sure. I could probably be ninety percent sure, or maybe even go out on a limb and say ninety-five percent sure because um, I've tapped enough of them, and I, I know, but uh, there's got to be a way. And I think one of the attorneys mentioned to me, says, I wish we had x-ray eyes. And I said, yeah, me too. And halfway through my answer, I said, yeah, wait a minute. What if we took a hairdryer and we heated up the tile? Just, I mean, just a few seconds. Doesn't have to be hot. Just heat it up a few seconds. You would think that if there were a, a dot method on the back of those tiles, that the areas where the dots were touching would show up different. It would, it would retain the heat more so than the areas that had a void that, that had no dot. And guess what? It worked. Uh, heat up that tile for you know maybe 20, 30 seconds, take a photograph, looking through the infrared camera, and there you could see all the dots plain as day. And I said, there's your proof. There's your x-ray vision. So I use that a lot. I use that a lot on especially showers, but on floors, anywhere you want to basically have x-ray vision so it's it's definitely worth the investment again 
the company, at least the one that I'm familiar with and probably the most popular infrared cam is the FLIR, F-L-I-R. Just do a Google search. Uh, I think I bought mine off Amazon or eBay, so you can you can find them there as well. So that's another piece of equipment you need to go along with your with your phone. What other things can you can you attach to your phone that will work? Uh, the other is what we call a boroscope. Uh, a boroscope is used by many industries, but it's basically a long, thin wire or tube that has a camera on the end of it. And again, you can buy these fairly inexpensively. I mean, I'm talking under, way under $100. They plug into your iPhone or your Android. There's an app you download, and you can actually take this and sneak it down through the back of a tile, if you will. Um, you know, plumbers use it to go down drains, mechanics use it to look in uh, engines. So it has a number of different uses, but a, a really a good tool. And that's probably the second tool besides the floor, the camera that I that I bring with me on almost every project because you just never know uh, where you're going to where you're going to use it. Uh, another piece of equipment that doesn't go along with your phone, but that's pretty much everything on your phone so far. You know, who knows what they're going to come up with as far as devices and apps for telephones. Uh, but the obvious things like a tape measure or a, I carry these little six inch what we call scales that you buy from the CSI supply. Yes, I said CSI, just like the TV show, crime, crime victim. What does what CSI stand for? Um, I can't remember now, uh, but uh, crime scene investigator. That's right, crime scene investigator. Uh, there's actually several companies out there that sell supplies for CSI people, uh, and one of them is those little scales. You buy them like you know 50 in a box or something, and they work really well uh, for taking photographs. Because if you take a photograph, let's say of a crack or a stain, <coughs> excuse me, or some kind of spall on the floor, uh, you have no idea how big or small that is by putting that scale. Uh, in the photograph, when you go back and look at the photographs at a later time, you can actually look at the actual size, and that works for all for grout width. Um, you know, what about, you know, people have asked me this all the time, you know, what about measuring lippage? Sure, we can measure lippage, but how do you get that on film? How do you get that on camera? And the best tool I've found for that is a tire depth gauge, a tread gauge. Uh, you can buy these at Walmart, AutoZone, any of the auto places, and they're just a little depth gauge they use to measure the depth of your tread. And you just put that on the on the high tile. You launch a little plunger down. It sits on a low tile, and it'll give you the exact measurement. And you can take a photograph of it with your phone. So it, it, that becomes really, really handy when it comes to uh, measuring the actual lippage on the floor. Another piece of equipment that I carry with me on almost every inspection is a moisture meter. Now, I want to warn you, uh, a moisture meter will check for moisture, but it's what we call a relative and instantaneous reading. And what I mean by that is that you have no idea whether the floor was just mopped, whether it was just cleaned. So if you take a moisture reading and you get high moisture, you know, you might be checking for that. But all, <coughs> excuse me, all a moisture meter does is tell you whether it's the stone or tile is wet, a little wet, or it's dry. So it, it's only a relative reading. For example, if you're looking at a floor and you go in and you take a measurement, and you find one area that's really wet and another area that's dry, that becomes a, a good indication as, okay, well, maybe we have a moisture problem in this area, and you start looking around to see where that moisture source may be. So that, that's what a moisture meter is good for. The other thing a moisture meter works well for 
is determining whether you have salts present. Now, I've got to back up a little bit and talk about moisture meters. There's basically two types of moisture meters that I carry. One is a non-destructive moisture meter. In other words, I'm sure you've all seen those moisture meters that have the two little probes on them. This one doesn't. This actually uses radio frequencies. It has a flat back, and it's designed for you know, for masonry, uh, wood, et cetera, but it works really well for flooring and that because you don't have to use those two little probes. However, when you do the uh, presence of salts test, in other words, you're checking for efflorescence, subfluorescence, whether there's any salts present, you have to use the, the little probes, the wood moisture meters, if you will, with the little probes. And if you want to get a paper and pencil or Go back and listen to this lecture again and again and again. Uh, I'll tell you how you determine. You need a couple of different things besides the probe moisture meter. You need a filter paper, several filter papers, uh, which you can buy at most scientific supply houses. Again, go to Google. You'll find them. Um, the other thing you need is a, a piece of plastic, and that could be the case to the moisture meter, just a, you know, a good piece of plastic. And then you need some distilled water, not tap tap water, you need some distilled water. Now, this is how you do the test. Let's suppose you have a floor, for example, that you suspect there's some salts present and you want to know, are there salts there? You take a filter paper and you place it on top of the plastic, the little plastic case or piece of plastic that you carry with you. And you put a drop or two of distilled water on there and you take your moisture meter and you take a reading. Now, for example, let's say your meter goes from zero to 100. You know, many meters go from zero to 10 or, you know, whatever the scale may, top of the scale may be. So let's take, the, we're using a moisture meter that goes from zero to 100. Let's say that reading comes out to be 90. So you record that. And you want to do that several times just to get a good, you know, it's called the scientific method. It gives yourself a good base. So you might get 90, you might get 85, you might get 89. Okay. Then what you want to do is take another disc, another filter disc, place that on the stone. Now, you don't want to touch these discs with your fingers because your fingers will have salts on them. You want to use a piece of, you want to use a tweezer. And you place that on the stone where you suspect there's going to be salts. And you add a couple of drops of distilled water and you take a reading and you record that reading. If the reading is the same as what you took on the plastic, if it was, you know, 85, 89, 90, there's probably no salts present. But if the reading is higher, if it comes out to be 93, 95, or it pegs the moisture meter, chances are there's salts because those things work on conductance. So what happens is when you add salt to the equation, it increases that conductance and it'll it'll peg, peg higher on the moisture meter. So it's not going to tell you the type of salts. It's not going to tell you how much salts are there, but it's going to give you a good indication that, yes, salts are present. So that's how you use uh, the uh, the moisture meter, the pin type moisture meter. So I carry two. I carry a regular, you know, non-destructive moisture meter, and then I carry a um, a, a pin type moisture meter as well. Uh, again, the filter papers you can get at um, uh, most scientific supply houses. You just need those little one-inch papers. If you can't find them that size, you can get them any size you want. It doesn't matter. The important point is do not touch them with your fingers. Keep them in a plastic bag and carry a pair of tweezers with you and pick them up with your tweezers. Second thing that I, I will carry, not on all jobs, is what is called a Rylem tube, R-I-L-E-M. What a Rylem tube is, is basically there's two kinds. It's a, it looks like a test tube with graduations on it, and it's open on the bottom. 
that's for the floors, or there's one that has a right angle and it's open on the right angle, that's for walls. And basically what you do is you, you put a, a bead of, of putty around the opening and you seal it to either the wall for the right angle one or the floor and you fill it with water. If the stone is absorbent, the tube will go down and you can actually measure that. Uh, you can buy the Rylum tubes. Again, go to Google, type in Rylum tube, R-I-L-E-M. The next piece of equipment I use is a microscope. Now, I don't bring out a very expensive microscope. Again, go to Amazon, go to eBay, type in field microscope, and you can actually you can have them, uh, uh, some of the cameras now have them, but uh, I have a separate one which will magnify I think it'll go from, you know, zero magnification up to 200 times. And this a lot of times I'll use for areas that you want to see scratch patterns. Uh, you want to get a closer look at the mineralogy of the, of the material. The one I have has a camera on it, both a video camera and a still camera as well. Uh, you know, very important piece. Plus, it looks really cool <laughs> when you show up, and especially if you take photographs of something and you're using these in a in a report or a presentation, it, it looks makes you look more more professional. And again, they're very inexpensive. Uh, I remember when I got my first one; it was you know several hundred dollars. Now you can buy them for fifty bucks. Uh, but I would recommend you get a you get a good one. Uh, another thing I carry with me is an iron test kit. Now, what I mean by an iron test kit is that is if you go to a water softening supply house or, again, go online. I feel like I'm advertising for Google here or go to Google uh, and type in iron test kit. You're going to be able to test water for iron. Now, why would you want to do that? Well, a lot of times you get into you know, shower failures, for example, and you'll see rust stains. Or you might be doing an exterior inspection and see rust stains. You want to test the water. You're testing the, the irrigation system or the water inside the, the home or building. And a lot of times it'll tell you where the water contains iron. So what you're doing basically is eliminating the water as being the possible source for staining. So that, that comes in handy. Now, let's say you do have iron. And, you know, white marble is notorious for, for oxidizing, and, and we've done a whole show on that. And, you know, you have iron in there. How do you know that that discoloration is iron? There's a chemical you can use out there called ammonium thioglycolate, uh, which it's, it's a real stinky material. You take a little bit of it. I'll tell you where you can get it here in a second. You take a little bit of that material. You place it on the suspected stain, and you wait a minute or two. If it turns purple, it's a positive indication that iron is present. There's a product out there by Alpha Tools called RSR, which stands for Rust Stain Removal 2000. comes in a little tube. It has a really nasty smell to it, so be careful if you're using it in closed areas, uh, especially around your customers. are going to think you did something other than uh, just standing there. Uh, it has a really, really na nasty, nasty by Alpha. Um, you know, the the question comes up all the time, you know, Fred, should I carry a gloss meter with me? And honestly, I don't. I have one. Uh, and ra I, there's been rare circumstances where I've actually needed a gloss meter, especially with failures. Uh, I generally need a gloss meter if I'm looking after, you know, somebody's restoration work or determining the degree of shine. But if you want to have one, uh, they're they're out there. They're relatively expensive. Although I've seen a couple of Chinese uh, models on Amazon that were relatively inexpensive, under 200 bucks. Um, and they're just another piece of equipment that make you look kind of cool. Um, 
you want to carry a suction cup with you. Now, why would you need a suction cup? Well, a lot of times you're going to be doing a sounding test. And as, by the way, that's another piece of equipment you'll need is a golf ball. I like using a golf ball uh, for sounding. Uh, you just basically just drop the golf ball and you can hear the hollowness or the non-hollowness in, in a tile. And uh, the suction cup, and I've had some cases where I could place a suction cup, and I, you know, I mean a good suction cup, one that you pump up that, you know, is going to have some good suction to it, and I've popped the tile right off the floor with a suction cup. Of course, that's a known, you know, it's not a good thing when that happens because you know you have no bond or the tiles are loose, but it's a very handy uh, tool to have. Um, one other um, piece of equipment I didn't mention, I should have mentioned back with um, moisture meters, and I'm going to discuss this in, in length uh, when it comes to uh, the, the training that I'm going to do up here in Vegas, and that is the difference between uh, using a moisture meter, a what we call a vapor emission test kit, or, or what they call a calcium chloride test kit, and an RH probe meter. And I have I use all three, and I'm not uh, the only thing I'll I'll tell you right now is an RH probe meter measures the relative humidity in a slab. The uh, calcium chloride test measures the amount of vapor coming out of the slab, and of course we discuss what the moisture meter does. It's an instantaneous. Uh, reading on that 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 material so and that's you know some of the basic stuff I carry with me I mean obviously I'm going to carry things like you know some rags some paper towels uh, sometimes I'll carry a little bit of uh, a little tiny jar of vinegar to test if I'm dealing with a calcium based stone or material or not of course you have to be careful with some of these uh, materials because uh, you, some of these might not be able to take on a plane, hence the acid or some of the chemicals. So you have to be careful. You have to ship them out ahead of time. Or a lot of times what I'll do is just go to the hardware store and buy some of this uh, stuff, uh, you know, when I ro arrive at the at the site or just before the site, which works really, really, uh, really well. Um, another thing, uh, and actually I was asked this question the other day, what about a straight edge? Um, Again, if I need a long straight edge to measure for levelness or whatever, I'll usually just buy one, include it in the cost of your inspection, uh, go to Home Depot, Lowe's, or a hardware store and buy one. Uh, I've seen that they now have collapsible straight edges. I've never used one. I don't have one. I end up buying one uh, just to see what they're like, but that's something uh, you might want to consider uh, as well. Um, now, you have to ask the question, and this is where you get into kind of a, a gray area when it comes to destructive testing. Um, if you're strictly a consultant, if you're strictly doing inspections and you're not a contractor, uh, okay, do you do destructive testing? And the answer to that is if you're not a contractor and you don't have the insurance to cover you, no. You'll usually work side by side with a contractor or an installer uh, to do destructive testing. Uh, obviously, if you do destructive testing, you'll need, you know, chisels, um, you know, putty knives, uh, an angle grinder, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I have all that. Uh, I tend not to do destructive testing if I don't have to. Uh, of course, there are cases where you have to do destructive destructive testing. So hopefully that answered uh, a lot of your questions when it comes to the type of equipment. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up here with some with some questions, but if you have a question, now would be the time to call or email me. Uh, the call-in number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. 
Um, if you want to send me an email, it's fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. And again, I'll be at Stone Expo sometime next week. Um, More likely, I'll be there Thursday afternoon uh, walking around. You'll see the... and and say hello. All right, some of the questions that I ask when I go on the, the initial inspection... Or a lot of times this can be done prior to uh, going on the inspection if they'll answer these. And sometimes what I'll actually do is send out a survey sheet. And, you know, this can apply to, you know, most of these are going to apply to flooring, but some of these can be applied to walls as well as, you know, countertops or whatever. And the first one being, are the tiles flat? Do you have lippage? Um, They might not know that, but you ask the question anyway, what size are the grout joints? And again, grout joint size can tell you whether you're dealing with sanded grout or unsanded grout. Are the joints intact? Are they showing any signs of cracking and where? Uh, if it's tile, are they set straight? Uh, you want to pay attention to adjacent surfaces, you know, carpets, walls, other materials when you're doing, especially doing a visual inspection. And I tell my students this all the time. Don't be fixed on just the stone or the tile. Look around because a lot of times, you know, what's happening outside of the the floor, outside the countertop, outside of the wall, can affect what's happening there. Uh, You know, the substrate, the walls, what's happening outside, irrigation system. So look at everything as as a whole. You know, what's the overall condition of the the material? Uh, Is it cracked? Is it dull? Is it wear? Are there traffic patterns? If it's a floor, does it vibrate when you walk on it? Some of the, one of the tests I do, basically just bounce on the floor. And, and see if it bounces or not, see if it moves. Are there any visible patterns to, to the floor? Are the edges of the tile, if you're dealing with tile, chipped? Uh, what type of installation do they know? Is it a mud set? Is it a five-point, five-dot, a thin set installation? Uh, note if there's any expansion joints. Uh, what color is a setting board? Is it, is it gray or is it white? Um, is it spalled or cracked? Note any kind of patterns because there is a there is a, a science that we talk about in our in our seminar called crack dynamics, where you can actually look at the crack and determine the type of crack it is and how it possibly have happened just by the pattern of, of the crack. So that's very important. Uh, is it discolored? Is the stone or tile discolored? Is it wet? Again, this is where your moisture tests come into play. Uh, is the tile sound? This is where you want to you know tap it with your golf ball. Uh, are there any visual clues uh, in proper maintenance? You want to look at the maintenance programs, unusual events that have occurred on, on that floor if you're dealing with the floor. Uh, if you, can you examine the subfloor? Is there a way to get into it via the heat registers, carpet transitions? And then the last thing you want to know is laboratory and destructive tests necessary. And, of course, you might not know that uh, until you've performed a, a more thorough investigation. So, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, again, uh, I do have a few openings left in my seminar coming up, which starts on Monday. Uh, if you want to get in, give me a call uh, or send me an email, fhouston at gmail.com, and I can give you all the particulars. I only have a couple of spots uh, left. I, I keep these class down to a maximum of 10. So, uh, uh, like I said, I have a few spots uh, open. Uh, you can go to Stone Forensics, or you can hop onto my Facebook page, which is Stone Forensics as well. Okay, uh, I will keep everybody posted on Facebook page as to whether I'm going to do a show next week or not. I might be too busy out there to do one, but I might do one. Uh, so uh, let's uh, 
uh, just keep an eye on on the things on Facebook there or your emails. And we will see everybody either next week or the following week. But in the meantime, I'll see everybody at the show. And everybody, have a great weekend. This is Fred Houston with the Stone and Tile Show. See you all later. <laughs>